Tim Beers. I'm Jason. And I'm Gary. We're the uh, Portland Tim Beers. We talk a lot about soccer, beer, skiing, and pretty much whatever else we want. Pretty much. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. How about you? Yeah, I'm fantastic. Well, today we've got uh, on in store for you an uh, interview with Tilt. Noah, one of the founders of Tilt, so we'll be talking with him here shortly. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Christmas beers. Our tasting is going to be of Christmas beers. You doing okay over there, buddy? Yeah, thro- frog in my throat. Frog? Yeah. Better uh, get him out. <laughs> what are you doing? You're supposed to just kiss the frog, not yeah. put him in your throat. Apparently I swallowed him. Gee, well, here we go. <laughs> Already, we're 30 seconds in. <laughs> wow. So, uh, Christmas beers. We're doing Christmas beer tasting, so we're going to taste Gary's side-by-side with uh, two well-known ones. Um, What else? A lot of snow falling. Lots of snow. A lot of snow falling. So, we're going to talk a little bit about the ski trip coming up uh, to Mount Bachelor for Cameron's birthday. Woohoo! And uh, then we'll talk a little bit about... um, Home brewing, Gary, you brewed today. So I did. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then the Timbers have a new signing. Oh, boy. So I thought we'd play that fun, fun, fan favorite <laughs> game. <laughs> Who's he most Who's he like? Most like? <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, with that, let's get started. So, And uh, when I say let's get started, that means let's pour some beer. Drinking time. So, three beers on tap here. We prefaced it last week. We have an Anchor Steam Christmas Happy New Year beer. This is the uh, beer that was brewed while we were down in San Francisco earlier this year. Yeah, Anchor. you gave me a bottle of that for Christmas. Okay. And then uh, I could not find Sierra Nevada Celebration Ale. I seem to have missed it. Or it got yanked from the shelves. So I snagged uh, Pyramid Brewing's Snowcap Winter Ale. They didn't have anything smaller than a liter, unfortunately. <laughs> so I'm sitting here with a full liter of this bad boy. Nothing like a liter of beer. There's that bomber for you. Woo. And then uh, we've got Gary's world-famous beer. That was the Thunder from Down Under. Yeah, I don't know which world you're living in if it's famous. And here's Gary's beer. Color-wise, holds up to everything else here. And then we've got one glass left on this taster tray. You know what that's for? Frankenbeer, beer, baby. We're blending, baby, blended. All right, so let's see what we got. Which way are you going? I think I'm going with Anchor first see what we got so anchor 2019 christmas and happy new year beer go back and listen to our anchor brewing interview and tour where they talk about this beer but essentially uh every year the brewers there get together develop this like recipe that's going to blow everybody's minds and every year the beer is very very different cool thing is when you do the tour at anchor in san francisco they've got a bottle a full bottle of each of their beers christmas beers that they've done for the last several decades like up on the wall yep actually in a glass container nice yeah probably skunked out because it's up against a window and all that (laughs) but still it's pretty badass because they got these bottles sitting there so 
And the artwork is all custom, so... Which is really cool. I forget the person that actually does the artwork, but it's the same person been doing the artwork each time, so... Kind of cool. Well, Anchor, what do you think? It's pretty tasty. It's not too bad. Pretty tasty. What exactly makes a Christmas ale a Christmas ale? You know, that's a good question. Um, I don't know that there's really anything special. So if I brew a, like, juicy IPA and called it at Christmas time? <laughs> During Christmas time, you can call it a Christmas IPA. I could have called it a Christmas ale. There you go. It wouldn't be an IPA. It's a Christmas ale. Yeah, that's t- true. So there's no style that we know of that's a Christmas ale. Not that I'm aware of. Uh, you know, reading through some of the recipe books, they, they just vary. Um, I think a lot of it's they're a little lighter. Than your heavier beers, like your porters or your stouts, but um, that's about the only distinction I know of. They're darker uh, than your regular ales, but I mean, there's dark ales all over the place, so I don't know. Yeah, you hear about it being referred to as like a winter warmer, right? So a little bit heavier in the alcohol. Right. Uh, Maybe some off stuff they're using, like juniper or spruce or stuff like that. Um, I Googled out, just with shits and grins, Christmas ale. What kind of beer is a Christmas ale? And up comes, Cleveland is the proud home of the best (laughs) damn holiday brew known to man. Great Lakes Brewing Christmas Ale. Since 1992, this festive and hearty 7.5% ABV beverage has been making the holidays a whole lot brighter. There's not a lot that would take... That it would take to make the holidays a lot brighter in Cleveland? No. 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 I mean, they don't have... Just Le- some alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, they had LeBron. They don't have LeBron. No. They've got a shitty basketball team, shitty baseball team. Not a very good football team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's pretty badass. Yeah, Cleveland. You ever been to Cleveland? I've never been to Cleveland. <laughs> I can say I've been to Cleveland a half dozen times. Yikes. Wait a minute. Isn't there family in Cleveland? Yeah. Yeah, that would explain that. Yeah, it's Cleveland. (laughs) Drew Carey's from Cleveland. There's a lot of people from Cleveland. Debbie's from Cleveland. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Drew Carey owns the... He's a partial owner of those damn shittle sounders. Good old shittle. Yeah. See, he didn't even stay in Cleveland. He didn't buy a Cleveland team. He moved to Shittle. Yeah, he moved to Shittle. <laughs> yeah. Should have invested the money back in Cleveland. So what do you Should think? Have, but the second beer is what now? This is Pyramid's Snowcap Winter Ale. Seven he, ounces, or seven ABV. What that one's it? interesting. The, the one thing I did notice about that beer compared to the other two yeah. is that it had more of a head. Um, and there's there's actual lacing on the glass and everything else. So um, I wonder if they used some kind of wheat additive in there or uh, what they did to get that. Yeah, the head is creamy, super yeah. creamy. Yeah, because the other two don't have that. The mouth feels good on it too, which I didn't didn't expect from a pyramid brew. I'm not a big fan of pyramid, and that's uh that's not that bad. Born in the Northwest. Hmm. And then we've got Gary's beer. How is it? Did you already try yours? 
Yeah, and I just went back and tasted pyramids for a side by side, like direct aftertaste. But no, it's good. Mouthfeels sim. Mouthfeel is similar to pyramids. Similar. You don't have the. You don't have creamy head, baby. I do not. <laughs> you got to take vitamins and supplements for that. <laughs> Apparently, idea. I got to pump up better. <laughs> Froth it up a little. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting, though, because they all three taste uh, very, very, fairly similar. Yeah, for not having a style, right? Yeah. I mean, they call winter warmers a winter warmer because they're, like, extra strong with the malt. Right. right? Yep. Kind of a heavier on the sweetness. And Definitely then, uh, heavier on the alcohol. Usually dark, but not as dark as, like, a stout or a porter by any means. But usually heavy malt forward, right? Right. Right. And all these kind of fit that bill. Yours definitely does. So, And you cloned yours after what? Yeah. So I did a, a clone of Breckenridge's Christmas Ale. Um, about the only thing, I don't even think I keep the same kept the same yeast, though. I think I changed the grain bill. I changed one or two of the hops. So I, I changed it up a little bit just because of the stuff I had on hand. But... Breckenridge is the nod that I'm going with to coming up with the, the actual recipe. Right. Interesting. Yeah, very good beers. Excellent. So what did you brew today? Let's talk beers. Yeah, so uh, today uh, I brewed the G's IPA. Um, well, actually, it's an APA. It's an American Pale Ale versus a Indian Pale Ale. Um Everything was going great till about midday. Uh-oh. Uh, my ETC went on the fritz again. Did it really? So I'm going to have to get that thing replaced. It started um, clicking back and forth between like 158 and 160 during the... Um, oh, and I can't even think. During the mass cycle? Yeah, during my mass cycle. Um, So I unplugged it and replugged it back in, and it worked fine. But then I went to um, get ready for the boil and then plugged my chiller in so I could get that ready for cooling everything off once the boil was done. And I blew a fuse at the house. (laughs) So I'm like, what the hell? So I go upstairs, reset everything, come back down, um, and get the ETC all set up to, to do the boil. And I went and messed around upstairs for like half an hour and came back down to, to see where we're at temperature-wise. And it's still at 156. Really? I'm like, what the is going on? So I looked at the ETC, and it didn't take the uh, temperature increase that I did to it to do the boil. So it just it hit 156 and stopped. Huh. So I'm like, all right. Changed that over. Finally got the boil going. And uh, after the boil was done, then I started getting the uh, warning signal that it was unplugged, the error signal. And it was still completely plugged in. So I had to mess with the connection that actually went into the ETC and the temperature probe. And it seems like there's a loose piece there. So I'm like, yeah, great. Weird. We'll see if it can hold up during the whole fermentation cycle. So for the listeners, what is an ETC and what does it do? 
the show for if you haven't heard that term before it's an electric electronic temperature controller and uh, what it allows you to do basically is set up your parameters of both heating and cooling of of your temperatures of what hot cycle do you want it at and what cold cycle do you want it at and then the electronic temperature controller will activate either your heater or your cooling unit once those parameters are hit um, and then you can program it to be uh, within like 0.5 degrees of, of what that is or anywhere up to what whatever you want but usually don't want to do anything less than 0.5 otherwise it just sits there and cycles on and off uh, it just allows you to be able to walk away from your beer and and know that those temperature ranges that you set are being consistently hit huh and yours is kaputs. This is like the second or third time, right? You had shipped it back yeah. one time. Yeah, I shipped it back once, and then I started having issues, and then it stopped doing it. Um, the second time, it just, it, some for whatever reason, started behaving. And now I've got a, another instance where it's misbehaving. So I've got to get a totally new system as far as that goes. Craziness. But how'd the rest of the brew go? The brew go fine? The rest of the brew went fine. Um, I brewed this APA one other time, and my gravity reading came out to um, almost the identical uh, gravity reading that I got on my last batch. So I was only like, um, last batches was 1.053, and this one was 1.052. So I'm consistently doing something right there, but it's not... It's still not doing what the recipe is calling what it should be, which is 1.065. So I'm off by a ton there. Interesting. All right. Well, that's a good segue, specific gravity. Let's dial in Noah from Tilt and uh, talk to him a little bit about uh, what the Tilt is and how that relates to specific gravity. This is Jason from the Tim Beers, and I'm here with Noah from Tilt. And uh, he's uh, graciously agreed to join us and uh, teach us a little bit about the tilt hydrometer, what it is, kind of the, the backstory on it. But before we get there, Noah, do you want to introduce yourself and what you do for tilt? Oh, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, my name is Noah Nybaron, and um, I'm one of the uh, inventors of tilt and founder of Baron Brew, which is our company that makes tilt. Um, I start, We started this company with... Um, with two other partners, um, and uh, we've we've been working together on this probably for I don't know five five or six years uh, now. Um, I don't know. I think that kind of sums it up. I think. Uh, did you have any other questions about? Yeah. No. Well. Well. How did we get started? Then? So, talk us walk us through. Obviously, somebody's a home brewer and got tired of taking specific gravity measurements. And oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like um, the 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 original idea was that um, I didn't really um, pay, I, I didn't feel like I was paying enough attention to specific gravity, and I realized I was making a lot of beers that I thought were, you know, too heavy. Um, I didn't really understand what that really was, and I felt like it was because I just you know wasn't taking. Uh, gravity readings, and if there was a way that it could be done, you know, more easily, it would, um, you know, I would do, I would do it more often, 
and it would improve my brewing. So, so that's where that, um, you know, the interest in, in solving this like problem of, of making, making that process easier. Cause there's, there's just so many things, you know, with brewing that you need to do that, that one, one making something a little easier is important. So Noah, looking at that and knowing that the, there was an issue like that, do you and all the and the other two um, co-founders have engineering backgrounds, or what really got you guys going on that piece of it? Um, yeah, so uh, one of the other co-founders, uh, Tyler Bryant, um, she's not with our company right now, but he um, he did he, he was a brewer. I mean, I was I was more of a brewer as far as you know how how our company came together. But he did. He was a brewer, and he did understand brewing, and he does have a background in engineering, and um, physics, and, and that kind of thing. Um, I myself have some chemistry background, and supply chain, sort of a blend of uh, really like the perfect background to develop a product like this. Um, and our our, our initial um, prototype actually was a. Um, a Wii, a Wii, a Nintendo Wii remote control, which has a accelerometer in it, which is the main sensor that uh, Tilt uses um, right. to measure the SG. Um, and so it was the perfect, you know, um, uh, like off-the-shelf device that we could convert into, like, I guess, the first Tilt. We... we um, we basically just put it in a waterproof container uh, with some weights to, to like verify like that you know this property actually exists that that the, if you make the weighting correct you can actually measure um, SG you know as a hydrometer using um, an accelerometer which is um, you know it's digital so you can more easily read it. And, you know, so that was a pretty good size a, prototype, then, right? Um, Size-wise, yeah, it was it was a big, it was it was fairly large. It took a lot of right. weight to like weight the thing. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, we called the we called the outer the outer um, container. We called it the brew tainer. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a funny. Um, it seems like every every product, uh, you know, for home brewing is, is a brew something or, or whatever. And, right. and actually, the, the initial name of our product was called Brewometer. Um, and we we often joked about everything that we used and made was called a brew, you know, whatever. Like uh, the, the the place that we developed that instead of like building it in a garage, we built it in a brewdio. Which is a studio for <laughs> <laughs> brewing. So, true brewers, yeah. true brewers. So. <laughs> from, yeah. from the time yeah. you have a prototype and the type you want to scale, talk to me about the funding. How did you do the funding? How quickly did it ramp up till you actually had stuff that you could sell? What was that process like? Um, yeah, so I think we got that process down pretty good because um well we learned the hard way actually we, we we started with the wrong process and which is basically um you know spending a lot of money to like have you know people you think are experts build something for you that you think is going to work um i mean that was okay but the problem was 
we were going to run, run out of money quickly and we couldn't really get like the fine detail, which was important um, to, to work. So, so um, of course, like it's, it's hard to learn um, some of the things that you would need to do, but we, we essentially ended up doing it pretty much ourselves. Um, it took us a long time. We, 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 you know, we didn't quit our day jobs, so to speak. And for a long time, we simply just, you know, scratched our head, threw some money here or there. Um, we did a Kickstarter that failed, actually, which is oh, actually wow. one of the best things that ever happened for us because um, we, were, we really weren't ready to, like, produce this product. And it would have just added a lot of unnecessary pressure um, that we, you know, may have had trouble with. Um, so, but we did get a really good um, customer list. Um, and so when we finally produced our first product, our first unit, um, within hours of you know, our website being online, we, we got a, um, a sale. So, oh, wow. I mean, that, was, that, that I think, was, was partly the Kickstarter um, you know, list of, of Kickstarter customers. I mean, because they're essentially willing to, to like pay, pay for the product. Once you have a list of people willing to pay for a very alpha product, you know, I mean, there are people out there that even though there could be some, like, issues, the fundamental idea is interesting enough, like, regardless of, um, you know, th- those kind of alpha issues of alpha products that have inherent right. issues. Like, some are, you, know, you always you have know. those early adopters, right? So early adopters of technology, yeah. you need them to help fund the project, so... Right. Yeah. Yeah. The the early like we kind of joke because and I, I know some people don't like this, but um, that our our customers are also our you know our testers. They're like our employees in some ways. Like some of our early, especially our early adopters, who have been you know with us since you know years ago, and we've you know we've um, when they've had issues with their tilts, you know we've given them like the newest update because we knew that they, you know, believe in us early on. And, you know, then that, you know, it's just how we, we've been able to develop the product and build like, um, I think a good customer, um, rapport through the year. So how many tilts do you have? What, what version of tilt are you on now? So we're obviously not doing the big, huge barometer. So we've rolled forward, but what version are you on? Um, the version that um, I think most people would say we're on is version three, um, and that's because uh, version two. Um, well, version three introduced a, a, two, like a single cap tube, so it was a, a more uh, rugged design. Uh, it had one less gasket, so one less risk of, of a leak. Um, it was just more. Uh, it was just smoother and more streamlined. Um, the the version two used um, two gaskets uh, to seal it, and um, and then the version one was the one based on an off-the-shelf, um, essentially a like um, kind of a hobbyist um, development board. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't even our own, you know, electronics. That's why we, I mean we were able to to actually launch our whole business with that because. You know, normally you wouldn't be able to, um, 
you know, get these parts for for this price, essentially at at the at the low volumes we were initially starting with. So being right. able to do that was was really important. Cool. Yeah. And so now you've got yeah. new products on the market. We're reading about uh, a couple here: the Tilt Pie and the Repeater. What are those doing for the market? Yeah, the Tilt Pie um, was a um, it, it was a creation of mine, but for a long time, the history of it. For a long time, I you know we we knew that um, a Bluetooth in general, you know, has this issue, I guess, of like not being able to dr- directly connect to the internet. And you know, our our thought was, well, you know, there's going to be a lot of just these um, iPads and um, old phones and whatever people will have they can use to to log directly onto the internet. Um, and then when the Raspberry Pi came out and it had Bluetooth, like a new Raspberry Pi had Bluetooth, I thought, wow, this is like a really good potential option, low cost, you know, potentially. Um, you know, software probably already out there for it in terms of Bluetooth. I just need to put together the pieces um, so that it's like, usable. So, you know, you can actually use the Bluetooth on this low-cost um, device in a, you know, in a, in a way that's, you know, even better than a, a, like a phone or um, iPad or, or whatnot. And, and so that's, that's essentially what that is. It's, it's a, it, it is a really, like, solid, very stable um, system that's that you know connects online, sends data to you know many different uh, online options, uh, web reporting options, um, and as well as be a, a local server that you know the the customer completely owns. You know it's not off off site, so it's uh, you know it's fast and you know in their control and, and whatnot. And you can log data um, locally as well. So it, it's been pretty popular. It's, uh, it's, it's something I use quite a bit. I think it's it's uh, it has has a lot of like once you see it, I think in in action, you kind of gain more appreciation for it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to like exactly describe, um, but you see that you know it's server and it's scanning for for tilts and sending data wherever you want it to. So it's it's pretty versatile in that way. Pretty happy with cool. it. And then, what about the repeater? So, the repeater is something new. It looks like. Yeah, and the repeater, um, the re- the repeater really tries to address the um, stainless steel fermenters, um, especially like the thicker steel, bigger ones that the tilt can't um, always get through. Um, and so, it sits right on top of a stainless steel fermenter, where the signal is the strongest. Um, Within a foot away from the fermenter, the signal can be completely gone. So that that space is really critical to have um, some kind of thing to pick up that signal. And so having a phone or even a tilt pie right there may not be convenient because you may not have plugs and wires, and you don't want to do all that. Um, this is a real, this is a battery powered. It's low energy, so it lasts six months. You don't really have to think about the battery. And it just gives you more um, more range in stainless. What I appreciated about the the repeater system is I have a stainless steel fermenter from stout tanks and kettles, and that's been one of the struggles I've had with tilt is penetrating that stainless steel. I literally have to put my iPhone on top of that stainless steel fermenter in order to get pickup. 
so this sounds like the repeater would take care of that issue. Yeah, it, 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 it essentially acts as um, a phone, as if the phone was in the same location, um, and then repeats the signal so that your phone can be anywhere or tilt pi um, in, the, in the house, essentially. So it's, it's, a very, it's, a, it's a relatively simple device. Um, it only repeats one color, and that's because um, generally, if you have two fermenters, you, you can't put, um, uh, you know, you can't use one fermenter with two, or one um, repeater with two fermenters, cause, just because of the lo location limitation. Mm -hmm. um, so it, you know, you essentially need one per color um, or one per fermenter for it to work. Cool. Yeah. So when, when you look at the, the calibration of the version 2, um, I've got a, the version 2 as well, mm -hmm. and I'm noticing that the difference between temperature on the tilt readings and the temperature on what my fermenter um, piece will tell me, it's about a 10 degree difference. Is that normal, or do I need to recalibrate my tilt? Um, t uh, 10 degree uh, temperature difference? Correct. Yeah, the tilt usually says it's about 10 degrees warmer than what my um, thermometer inside the fermenter is saying it is. Is, is this, is this um, for all situations, or is this only, does this only occur in the fermenter? Um, uh, you know, that's a good question. I've never tried it anywhere else. I just, I've only used it in the fermenter. Okay. Um, it, does it have a, is this, is this um, using like a cooling jacket or? Uh, it is. It's a jacketed yeah. fermenter. Um, it's one of Bruja's five-gallon all-in-ones. So it, it has a warming jacket on it or? Uh, it, it's a stainless steel uh, double-walled fermenter that's got the jackets built in. It's a stainless steel jacket. Okay. To, to heat or cool. Then, Correct. I guess you're saying. Okay. Yeah, I have I have noticed some, uh, I have heard of um, situations where um, some customers have had a, um, instead of the jacket, a uh, cooling coil or heating coil, um, which can, um, it can create a uh, sort of inverted temperature gradient where the temperature is actually cooler in the center, which is kind of strange for fermentation um, and warmer yeah, on the outside. But um, it doesn't sound like that's um, your setup. I mean, I would say that if it's off by that much, um, uh, there is a calibration, and, and my guess is that maybe maybe it was calibrated accidentally, and it's off by 10 degrees. It, it, it's in a like maybe the calibration can be reset. I don't know. Um, or if it's if if it's the the chances that the thermometer needs to be calibrated is very low. It's a it's a very like well known. The 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 sensor we used is a very well known. Um, electronic sensor that's it's it's uh known to be extremely accurate so if if it's off by 10 degrees i would say there's probably some issue with it and you can contact um or i'll just i'll just get in touch with you we can replace it uh, it sounds faulty if gotcha. that's you know if, if it's not a calibration issue 
Okay. I will have to try to the calibration. So I know I calibrate mine pretty regularly, and I've never had any real problems with that. So I mean, usually I'm I'm trusting the tilt more because it's sitting inside the bed versus the thermo well, um, which may be off by a degree or two or whatever. So, but we're big fans of tilt. So again, yeah. we've talked about tilt on the podcast for years, and um, we're glad that you're able to come on. Um, are you still brewing beer? Or are you? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You know, the last thing I made was cider. Um, I made oh. an apple and pear. Um, yeah, and uh, I I, uh, I fermented over at a friend's house, and and he really didn't know too much of what he was doing. So it was great that I could. Um, he actually had a good uh, like a uh, like a cellar that you could actually like control. You know, it w- it would self control temperature. And, Sweet. you know, I could just monitor it, and it was great. And, and I used a tilt pie um, to monitor it remotely, and, yeah, it turned out really good. Um, awesome. I, 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 <laughs> what's, what's next for tilt? Um, my uh, – so we're working on um, – one of the things we're working on is um, – well, we do have a, 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 a version 2 computer out that's um, currently available. Uh, it has an antenna, so it has more sensitivity. Um, you know, that's something that's, that's obviously important for that kind of device, and and it's a little easier to use. We have some like a, a RGB LED on it. That's the you know you can see the color of the tilt flashing, um, so it gives you that feedback. Um, in addition, we're also working on a on a pro. We're gonna you know our nickname is Pro Tilt, but it's basically a little bigger. It has a little bigger battery, so it lasts longer. It has an antenna, so it gets it has a little longer range without you know using more battery. Um, and uh, you know we're 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 kind of talking about increasing the resolution essentially of it as well. So it'll have a few a few little different features um, that are, that you know I think that our customers would appreciate and. Uh, and uh, but you know we'll, we'll we'll keep both versions because it won't fit in a in a um, in a glass carboy. So, but it will be I think be a slightly better for stainless and and you know bigger fermenters essentially. Cool. That sounds uh, yeah. promising and sounds cool. Um, but with that, we want to thank you for your time. And again, like I said, we're big fans of Tilt and what the products that you guys have. I think it's moved homebrewing forward. There's been a lot of things that have moved homebrewing forward, but um, this truly was a revolutionary product, I think, for homebrewers. And so we uh, are happy Tilt owners, love what you guys do, and we're glad that you were able to make it onto the podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate your questions and, uh, you know, uh, anytime. Thanks for having me. Woohoo! Tilt interview, Noah. Thanks, man. Appreciate the interview. Great. We love the device. Again, can't say enough about it. We uh, complain about it when it doesn't work or like my battery. I didn't check my battery, (laughs) right? Or when it floats to the other side of the fermenter. But then very quickly, I remember how many like specific gravities I've had to take manually. Exactly. It's sticking to the side of the little. Beaker. You're not getting an accurate rating from that. Right, or it rolls off, breaks on the ground, right? So yeah, how I don't many, know how many of those I broke. How many of those have you broke, right? The tilt, you don't have any of that. Yeah, I don't have that. And I don't break the beakers either. Nope. 
So, yep, tilt changed home brewing. So, uh, home brewing wise, equipment wise, um, I was going to go over and buy some stuff from Sharon over there at Above the Rest. Yeah. <clears throat> if you haven't checked out Above the Rest, listeners, a uh, great place to shop. Very local here in Tiger. So, West Siders, you can shop there or Main Brew. Those are the two homebrew shops on the West Side here. Um, and the selection's good. Uh, and she's just recently changed her website, her hours. She's updating things. So, but one of the cool things I found is I'm looking for an oxygen aerator. So you've got you've had an oxygen stone and bottle for a while. Yeah, I ran <laughs> out of oxygen today too. That sucked. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, I need to like start doing this. I need to start playing with oxygen a little bit. I yeah. played with oxygen in the past doing medical oxygen. But, um... Pure grade. Uh, yeah, pure grade. <laughs> licensed. Real expensive. So, but I was doing a cost comparison. I was looking at Northern Brewer and a couple other sites online, and it was like 65 bucks for an uh, oxygen system. Yeah. And that's not even the bottle. That's just the system. That's just the system. Yeah. So yeah. I go on to Sharon's site, and I'm looking there, and it's forty nine ninety nine. Nice. Sharon's kicking some ass. That's good to see. Yeah, I know. She's not low on everything, but, like, that she's low on. So Which is good. It's so, what you needed. Yeah. So i got to go visit Sharon on Wednesday when she opens up, and or maybe it's Thursday. I think she's open Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. So, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that goes, but check them out. Above the Rest Homebrew, uh, great prices, and, um, again, everything you need on the west side here. So, Which is really, really nice. Yeah, super convenient, right? I mean, you don't have to drive forever. You don't have to fight a bunch of traffic. Uh, it's kind of nice having it right there. And she does wine. She does cider. She's usually got a couple beers on tap that she's brewed. Yes. Um, she's got all the grains that you could want um, doesn't have some of the specialty grain stuff, but I know um, she does ghost grain accounts, so you could buy futures in grain and have a, a bag sitting there, basically, um, that you've locked in the price on. So, Oh, nice. But she does all of that stuff, so pretty cool stuff. Anyways, so... so um, I think you're going to like the oxygen. Well... It, it just helps with the... Uh, your your whole getting started for your your uh, your yeast and everything from there. Yeah, I'm mean, supposed I to give it a it. kickstart, right? I've never exactly. I've yeah. never had a problem. Well, I shouldn't say that. I've <laughs> bitched plenty of times because I've had to add extra yeast, <laughs> but I'm not quite sure that was an oxygen problem. <laughs> Lots of yeah, other issues. You never know. Yeah. You just never know, right? I've brewed for a couple decades now, and I I haven't really had a hard time. Generally, I've jacked something else up. So. <laughs> But, um, like, buying the yeast and letting it sip for a month. Yeah, that's yeah. usually not a good thing. Right, you want fresh yeast. <laughs> yeah. I forget who I was talking to. Somebody had, like, old yeast, and they were uh, sitting there like, hey, yeah, I'm going to use this old yeast, I'm going to do this, and I'm like, this isn't going to turn out well. <laughs> <laughs> like, just to get those one or two cells that are left in that thing to uh, wow. procreate. Yeah, if you're going to use old yeast... Do a yeast starter. Yeah. You're going to have seven months of fermentation to get the yeast up to where yeah. it needs to be. I so. mean, you, you've, you've got to... Anything older, over, over a month, I won't even buy it. Right. Well, that's a future uh, episode where we go out to Y Yeast and go learn about yeast. Yes, that would be a fun, fun, fun trip. Harvest some yeast from my belly button. 
<laughs> Yuck. Trying to make uh, a beer out of it. Oh, man. No? No. It's what, g- it'd be a you, navel. What are you going to call it? N- the navel gobstopper? Yeah. It'd be the navel... <sighs> be the yeasty boys, and, navel style. The yeasty boys. <laughs> <laughs> that was priceless. <laughs> so, uh, oh well. So you did a little Franken beer there. What'd you do? Um, I I copied you. I did the fifty percent Pyramid Brewing, and fifty percent uh, Gary's Christmas beer. Okay, what'd you think? Um, I kind of like it. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of digging it. Dude, that snow cap sitting out there, just like getting warm. Yeah. It's almost got like a nutty... It, it's got some different flavorings coming through. Yeah, it's not as tight. It's opened up, and it's got some like kind of a peanut buttery, nutty, hazelnutty something going on. It's kind of good. Yeah, that's yeah. not bad. Does yours do that? I don't know. I haven't tasted mine uh, by itself uh, like that. I just did the Frankenbeer with it. No, so. it doesn't have the nutty. It's good. It's clean, but it doesn't have the nutty taste to it. Huh. But that snow cap's got some nuts. <laughs> it's got nuts. I'm loading you up, baby. Oh, boy. Yeah, see, what's funny is once mine opens up, it gets that frothy head. Yep. So, all right. Very interesting. I think I am brewing an IPA. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Stop the freaking presses, kids. <laughs> Jason's brewing an IPA. Well, all right. So here's like a the true IPA or an APA? No, I'm gonna go big. I'm brewing a double IPA. I was gonna say if, if <laughs> Rogers is brewing an IPA, it's gonna be like a quad IPA. <laughs> so David Noyes, who uh, I sit on a board with, so yeah. um, he is retiring from his position. Cool. And so I brew, and of course, for my son's Eagle Project, or Eagle Ceremony, we brewed beers for that. Yes, we did, yeah. We brewed beers for a lot of other parties and things like that, and I'm like, why wouldn't I brew a beer for David? David's the one that scored us the tickets to Dark Arts. (laughs) Yeah, you gotta brew that guy beer. We gotta brew him beer, and I'm gonna brew him the best beer in the lands. A quadruple IPA. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he likes IPAs, and he loved Will's IPA. He thought it was great. Um, and he liked all the beers, yeah. But he uh, he likes that thicker type stuff, hence dark arts. Right. So right. his ceremony is April thirtieth, his retirement ceremony. And um, so I got a little bit of time to play with this. But I got I, an idea for you. What? Do a black IPA. Mm-hmm. So is, April thirtieth is the retirement. It's still it's moving to light time, not night time. Yeah, but he likes dark beer. But yeah, but he likes IPAs too. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. So, what's the best IPA on this planet, or double IPA? Uh, what kind of set the standard for double double IPAs or Imperials? For doubles or I, or Imperials, I don't know. What? I don't. I don't know if I'm going to throw Pliny. Well, I was going to say I don't know if Pliny's a true double though. Is no, it? it's set the standard for doubles. Yeah, it is. It is by itself as the standard. So, Pliny, I am looking for a clone recipe unlike any other. It's in your book. Is there a Pliny clone? It is. Yeah, the Pliny clone is in there. I'm going to take a look and see if it meets my standards. Because I saw it. But I'm going to do something to the Pliny clone. 
Why does that not surprise me? I'm going to ferment it. You're going to supercharge it. With belly button yeast. Oh, God. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, no, I, I want to find a twist on this for David and uh, make something truly special. So Juniper berries. It'd be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Dingles? Dingleberries. So, uh, <laughs> Dingleberries and <laughs> belly button yeast. Oh, Jesus. So, I, I'm thinking... Uh, Listeners, if you know something that I could do to make this Imperial IPA truly epic, by all means, email us at portlandtimbeers at yahoo.com <laughs> because I want to hear what you guys have to say. And uh, I've got a few weeks to play with here, so in the next couple of weeks, let me know. I'll probably brew this thing the week after we get back from Dark Arts. That'll allow me ample time to let this thing get going. <laughs> and recover. And recover. <laughs> you got to recover. I may even try to brew it at Dark Arts. Oh, God. <laughs> Breaking into uh, Fort George's <laughs> brewing system when I'm going to brew it. All right, guys, I need your system. Nope. Why ask? I got a big party. Just beg for forgiveness, baby. Exactly. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then say, this is what I got, boys. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do it brew dog style. We're going to do it floating in the Columbia River. Oh, my God. So. I hope we got it dry suits. <laughs> we don't have the old crikey engineer guy that can. No, we don't. That guy's a genius. He is a genius. That guy. So, yeah, there you go. Well, that's my plan. Brewing a Pliny clone. Not going to brew just a standard IPA like old Will over there. No. You're going to take it to the next level. I'm going <laughs> at least one level, if not two levels up. Wow. I believe in brewing everything Imperial. Imperial. <laughs> Imperial Pilsners. <laughs> Imperial Cream Ale. Oh <laughs> From here on out, kids. <laughs> Everything's imperial. Everything's double the grain bill from here on out. <laughs> so what's Jason brewing? Oh, imperial this, imperial that. Oh, I'm, really? I've never heard of an imperial Kolsch. Yeah, well, now you have. What's the grain bill? Oh, 50 pounds of grain. No big <laughs> <Yeah>. deal. <laughs> right. So, well, there you go. That's that's my plan. Like I said, you got the ideas on what to do? What, what I, novelty I could put in the thing? Let me know. So, uh, let's see. You and I are heading to the mountain here coming up. You've done quite a bit of skiing this last week. Yeah. Oh, boy. I knocked two days out in one week. That, yeah. was, that was nice. I wanted to get three, but they, uh, they kind of shuttered it. Really? Yeah. I was going to go up Saturday night, and they closed the lifts because they were having 85-mile-an-hour gusts at the top. Yeah, that was Friday, right? Saturday. Well, yeah, Saturday, yeah. they completely shut it down. Because I was up there Friday. And they and had from, intermittent shutdown, right? Right. From 7 to close, which is at 9, They every time I got on the lift, it stopped. Really? Um, and once you got even midway up the mountain, the wind was just whipping and howling. Uh, so it was, get, it was starting to get pretty nasty. And it definitely got nasty the next day uh, to the point where once, uh, I even think they shut it down midday. Once midday came around, they had to close it down because the gusts were getting so bad. But if, if you haven't done it at Meadows, um, night skiing up there, it, it's a lot of fun in my opinion. Uh, just because you can get like a lift pass for nighttime only. For I think it's 156 bucks or 159 bucks, um, 
And when you look at their nighttime regular prices, it's $39. So after just over four times, you've paid for your pass. And you can go up just storm ski the crap out of it. Most people won't go up there during the storms, uh, which is nice because you get endless powder. Hmm. Yeah, I saw Saturday uh, they shut it down. I was actually headed up on a uh, Boy Scout camp out Saturday yeah. morning, going to Trillium. We were going to snow camp, and we called it off. We're calling for a foot of snow an hour um, throughout Saturday. Which is nuts. So I was like, well, probably shouldn't take the scouts into that. I really don't feel like unburying my truck the next day on Sunday. No. So we're we, uh, even trying to find it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, actually, that ran through my head. I'm like, am I going to have to take a steak or something and put it in there? Yeah. So, and then, yeah. So, we're uh, postponing for two weeks from now, and uh, we'll go in two weeks. So, we'll cool. see how it goes. So, I thought we'd run through the ski resort. So, last time, last week as we went through this, things were looking pretty slim. Oh, it was bleak. Yeah, and uh, things have rebounded totally. We'll start with Timberline because Timberline, I believe, was at 35 or 37 inches. Um, and in just in the last 72 hours, they've received 26 inches of snow. Which is nuts. They have a 100-inch base depth at the lodge. So that's at the lodge. That's not the summit. Right. That's at the lodge. So, Which if, if last week, if you would have looked at pictures up at Timberline, you could, you could see the lodge, you could see the road, you could see all that stuff. Yep. Not anymore. Since 5 a.m. this morning, they've had eight inches of snow. So, I mean, it is dumping up at Timberline. It's awesome. So we swing over to Meadows on the backside of the mountain there, and Meadows is getting dumped at, too. They're looking strong. The last eight or last 12 hours, they've had eight inches. Last 24 hours, 16 inches. Um, they're currently at 19 degrees, and... Why am I not seeing what their total base is? Oh, base is 86 inches um, at the lodge. Right. So mid-mountain sitting at 114. So as you further up you go, the more snow there is. Yeah. But the base is 86. So well, again, and their base last week, even at Wednesday, was at 50. Right. Yeah. So lower, a little bit different snow on the backside of that mountain. A um, little bit less snow, but it is dumping. But the elevation at Timberline's higher up. So, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So then we swing over to Ski Bowl, and Ski Bowl's fun. Like, if you haven't skied Ski Bowl, night skiing at Ski Bowl, they claim it's the biggest night, night skiing in, in the nation. Yeah, I mean, it's massive. America's largest night ski. Um, they are currently, and they just opened up this past week. Uh, let's see what they're looking at. Today's conditions, snow, steady temperature, 24, 25. Let's see. 7 to 11 inches of snow as possible. Yeah, they're not making it easy to find. Of course they're not. status. Interactive. Quick links. Cosmic. Oh, conditions. There you go. <laughs> I just had to look. You just got to look for the seaward. So they're at 46 inches. So and they were at like 18 inches earlier yeah. in the week. So yeah. They've gotten a lot of snow. Things are dumping. And all week they're looking at adding 4 to 8 inches each day all week. So ski, ski bowl. Cool thing about ski bowls, it's linked with Timberline. So, and I believe one day in my gut, uh, the two resorts will be linked. So you'll be able to ski from Timberline and catch lifts or a gondola back and forth to the places. So, oh yeah, I can <clears> see that happening. 
right. a doubt. And I think uh, they bought the little resort at the base there in government camp, so that pretty much links the places right there. So Yep. So kind of cool. A um, little bit closer than Meadows, but different total vibe than Meadows. So let's see. Then we flip over to Hoodoo. The you do. It's the hoodoo that you do. And hoodoo is now sitting at 57.9 inches, set to open January 12th. So they open today from 9 to 4. And in the last 24 hours, they've had 8.7 inches of snow. I tell you, there is no better place to ski than hoodoo on a bluebird day. It is on freaking believable you can see mountains in 360 degrees all the way around you yeah the, the view is amazing local ski resort like 50 60 bucks for a lift ticket not a lot of lifts but a lot of fun plus stuff to play on um, advanced beginner decent lifts all that good stuff fun fun place so check out hoodoo and then where you and I are heading <laughs> for Cam's birthday bachelor, celebration, baby, heading to Bachelor. And so Bachelor, um, we skied there what, four times, I think, recently. So let's see. They are sitting, and they were rock showing last time I was there. And they are saying so ends an epic weekend here. Uh, where the mountain saw 36 inches of snow in the last 48 hours. So 36 inches, folks. That's three feet in two days. <laughs> that's disgusting. It is going, baby. So 36 inches in 48 hours. On deck for Monday, powder hounds can expect more heavy snowfall overnight with accumulations measuring nearly a foot overnight. Nice. <laughs> Not a foot in a day. Time to go. A foot overnight. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where we're heading, my friend. So it's currently sitting at, let's see, snow depth is sitting at mid-mountain, 90 inches. Um, And in the last 48 hours that you heard, 36 inches of snow. Yes. Uh, Today it snowed 9 inches. So pretty crazy. We're going into the snow zone. That's, That's pretty much snorkel skiing type snow oh absolutely it is yeah so and then just for shits and grins i thought we'd look over at a place we've both never been that we need to head over to a uh, place where will's from right ooh, ooh, anthony ooh, lakes yeah baby theoretically gets more snow than any place in oregon theoretically yep so in the last 24 hours they've received six inches their base though 32 inches that's not looking so good <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping to get more. The theory just got shot down the toilet for Anthony Legs. Yeah, no shit. Everything's been, well. Everything's going around them. It is. They've had 107 inches since October 1st. Well, yeah, that's pretty good, though. <laughs> yeah, but they've only got 30 left. <laughs> but they only got 30. It's because it's melting off. You lost 70 inches. <laughs> well, it's in the desert. So It's like the Plains Desert. <laughs> Somewhere between Lagrande and Baker City. So yikes! Yeah, we got to check this place out. We got to go there. Yeah, Th- that's got to be one of our our like. I think we put it on our agenda to do some road trip type stuff, and I think skiing was one of those, as well as like beer scenes. So we could maybe knock two 
two birds with one stone. Yeah, we could hit Barley Browns over in eastern Oregon and then nail out Anthony Lakes and all that. That'd be badass. Yeah, very definitely. Yeah, that'd be kick-ass. So, cool. Well, that's what we've got for the ski report. So, we'll, of course, be heading up there and uh, checking out Bachelor there and seeing what damage we can do over there on that mountain. Three days to go. That's right. So, Timbers. We've got a new player, dude. Who? His name, well, it's not official yet. Supposedly we haven't signed him. He was oh, seen at the Blazer boy. game last night, though. <gasps> that at means the, they're courting him. At the Blazer game with our Croatian guy and Steve Clark. Steve Clark was at the Blazer game. Yeah, he resigned. He's loving life. Yeah, he's loving life. I just hope he still has edge. Um, From a little interview piece I saw of him, I think he does. Yeah. Well, this uh, transfer market saying that Jaroslaw Nizogada joins the Portland Timbers. He spotted an NBA game. And then it says probability of transfer to Portland Timbers? Question mark. Huh. <laughs> so, Interesting. So this dude's from Poland. Uh, he's got citizenship with Poland. He's from Poniatowa, Poland. Now, is he a striker or a back? No, he's a striker. Oh, boy. Yeah, he's a center forward, flat out, or a second striker. He so, plays a second striker. So guess striker. what I see happening here. What? Ebo gets sold. You think so? Yeah, yeah. by at least mid-transfer. Maybe. And then this guy comes in. Yeah, could be. I just see it happening. That would be interesting. You heard it here first. Well, so this dude, uh, let's see. How big is he? He's 24 years old. He's the number one goal scorer in the Polish league. Uh, when I looked, it was only 14 goals is what he had. <laughs> it was like 14 big. goals in 18 games. Yeah, that's what it is. That's that's not a very competitive league. Polish league? Well, if he's 14 goals? Yeah. 18 games? Yeah. I mean, that's that's respectable right there. But Minutes per goal is 76. <laughs> That's not so good. Why? Well, he's still averaging a goal a game. Right. Right? Yeah. How big is this guy? This dude, this 24-year-old dude, is 1.85 meters. <laughs> oh, fuck. American. Come on, <laughs> damn it. I don't know what that is. I don't either. That's sad. That's sad that we don't eat. Both of us don't know that. Meters to feet conversion is five is the same as 185 centimeters divided by 2.54 so like to get 72, two, rounding six, to a six three. decimals, divide that by 12 to get feet. So he's six foot, he's six foot plus a little bit, it says. Yeah. So he's about six foot. So he's not big. He's not huge, but he's He's not tiny small. either. Yeah. And supposedly he's badass. Do you know who he's most like? Let's play that fun, fun, <laughs> fun, fun game. Here we go, kids. He is get, get ready for a bunch of people that you have no idea who they are. What? Why would you say that? Because that's usually what happens in this game when we play Guess Who He's Most Like. No way. I would never do that to Never? You. Uh-uh. So, he's most like. <laughs> Here it goes. Have you ever heard of number seven 
<laughs> Christian Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, I've heard of him, but I guarantee this guy isn't like him. <laughs> Number seven, Cristiano Ronaldo. Is he How most f- like that guy? Really? No. I clicked on Cristiano Ronaldo. That's what I thought. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, don't bullshit me, because there's no way that Portland pulls off that purchase. There's no way. So they're looking at his salary. These are salary comparisons for his position, and they look throughout the leagues. And uh, he comes back, Franco Soldano. <laughs> Who the hell is that? <laughs> Dude, he's from Boca. Don't you know Boca Bo- players? Boca Raton? Yeah, or Boca Juniors. <laughs> Frankie Soldano. Yeah, Frankie Soldano makes $2.85 million. He's a center forward. He's on contract until end of 2020. Nice. Uh, he's 25 and, yeah, and making bank. Making bank. What about Raniel? <laughs> what? Ronnie L. Nope, don't know the guy. He's a lot like Ronnie L. <laughs> $2.5 million. So he plays for Santos FC in Brazil. Nice. Yeah. Um, oh, you, you surely know this guy. This is one of your guys. Right here. Andras Porar. He's Slovakian. Uh, Slovakian. That's my dude. I know, that's your dude. <laughs> Look, he's got your haircut. Yeah. That's badass. So this is my guy. My guy is Ali Soa. <laughs> That's who he's like. Wow. <laughs> Ali Soa, um, he's from the Gambia. 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 Yeah. He's playing for uh, CSKA Sofia. So it's a Russian club. What's that guy making? 2.85. Yeah. yeah. Jump change. Yeah, jump change. So, yeah. Most like. So our new player, welcome to Portland, Jaroslav Nizogoda. <laughs> he looks... He's got like angry. I got to take a shit face there in that picture. He needs a new. Yeah. He needs a new picture. You know. Um, he, you know. He's kind of looking like what? Uh, Von Dom. It actually does kind of look like constipated Von Dom. But he looks like seriously like he's squeezing something out. Yeah. 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 Poor guy. So, well, there he is. Soon to be a Portland Timber. And there's your fun, fun game of who are you most like. <laughs> wow. You know, I would love to play that game just once where there's a player that we really know. <laughs> and really know him well. We're talking about MLS, dude. Nah. What about on. what about Yumu Suzuki? Nope. You never heard of that guy? Nope. Right. I write a Suzuki. Could be Yuma Suzuki. Well, that was a fun little game. So yeah. All right, buddy. Well, what do you got left? What are you thinking of those beers? Um, I've got a quarter of mine left and half the Franken beer. I got a lot of beer I'm staring at. So, what do you say we head off down the trail? We'll close this podcast out, and uh, we'll come at you next week live from Sun Lake. No, Sun Sun River. Boy, that's right. We won't be here. We'll be in Sun River. We've got to figure out what interviews we're doing in Sun River. Yeah, we'll find them. All right. Tim Beers. <laughs>